Father God, what a gift it is to be able to declare that we are your children. The power in those words, what that means for life and for love, for wholeness and completeness in you, trust and faith in our future. God, we declare it, that we are your children. You have brought us into relationship by the power of the blood of Jesus. You have restored and made us whole, forgiven our sins, that we can live in holiness and righteousness and perfection with you forever. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for what you have done. And as we turn to your word now, we pray to God that you would speak. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, that we can love you a little more deeply and follow you a little more closely and share you a little more fully. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. It is a powerful thing to be, uh, to be able to declare those things together. Sometimes, whether we feel them or not, whether it's true in that moment or not, it is still powerful to declare it and pray for the Spirit to make it true in our lives more and more. But as we turn to the Word this morning, let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, it's right at the beginning, just a few pages in. We'll have the dedication part where somebody signed it when they gave it to you. And then you got the table of contents, and then just a couple more pages, and you're right there. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 2 in the latter half there. It says this, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Even in worship, we can so easily only see how we look compared to others. Even in worship where the focus is supposed to be on God. So often all we can do is think how we are less than someone else. If even in worship, the place where God alone is supposed to be first, we can still be so deeply lost in sin, how can we find peace? How do we step free of comparing ourselves to others. This morning we're going to be continuing our journey through the seven deadly sins, looking at our theme for the summer, set free. 
as we try to see and understand the power of the resurrection over our sin, the weaknesses and the failings that hold us back from everything that we were created for. And embrace the new life that Jesus calls us to know in abundance and freedom and hope, eternal life in Him. Again, last week we had that wonderful opportunity to get out into nature and in our community to worship God in the wonder of His creation, to bring the Word and worship into the middle of a public space, to declare there that God is good, that He is here, to declare the truth and the hope of Jesus, and then just to enjoy that wonderful space together. It's a, it's a powerful and profound thing that we do, even though it can kind of feel like no big deal. We do services, we do songs, we do gathering together. This is just normal. And it, become, it can become just so comfortable and familiar. But as we talked about last week, as we've been on this journey through understanding the sacred. We've been seeing more and more the power of the Spirit and the spiritual nature of the world we live in, the spiritual nature of our own lives, and the nature of the relationships we have, and to bring those things, worship and relationship and the Word and prayer into the middle of that community space is a powerful thing. We carry the Spirit with us, the presence of Jesus in our being, wherever we go and whatever we do, and we need to be conscious of what that means, what that looks like, the impact that can have when we see what is happening, when we pay attention to the work of the Spirit in our lives and around us. And doing that together is a powerful reminder of what God has called us to be and to bring into the world. His presence and message of of hope and peace and forgiveness and new life. It's a profound responsibility and opportunity. But it's also just so much fun. God is alive. And He's moving. And as we submit to Him, we get to be a part of that, used by Him to draw people to Himself. It's exciting. And so that's why we're talking about these things this summer. That's all part of why we're exploring these seven deadly sins, because we want to be a part of that fun. What God is doing, bringing His presence into the world, we want to be able to see the things that hold us back. We don't want anything to hold us back from being a part of that. To draw us away from what God is doing toward selfishness and fear. All the ways that we allow sin to creep back into our lives, the way we hold on to our old life. The life that Jesus has overcome and set us free from. And these are big ideas we've been talking about. Some of these things are things that our world not only doesn't see anything wrong with, but these are things that our world celebrates. 
There are things that our world hungers for and, and pursues. As, as humanity, we've fallen so far from understanding the presence of God that we think the opposite is good. Greed and gluttony are marks of wealth and success. Lust and sloth are celebrating selfishness and just feeding our own needs and hungers and comfort. It's backwards. It's all about us, all about me. And it's caused us to become so backwards in our approach to God that even so often in our journey, it's about what He can do for me. And if He can't or won't make my life look the way I want and the way I think it should be, then He's not worth it. Instead of pursuing humility, submission, and worship, Acknowledging that He is God and I am not. That He is good and that is it. That He is holy and nothing else matters. We need to see through these things. We need the Spirit to help us see the truth, the life that God desires for us in the right order of things. And so this morning we're going to come to our next word in this list, another powerful and challenging one, one that works itself out in such subtle and deeply dangerous ways all through our lives, causing us all kinds of hurt and pain. The sin of envy. Now envy is another of these words that Seems really easy to understand. Envy is just jealousy. It's being jealous of others. Cool, we get it. Don't be jealous. But envy goes so much deeper than just jealousy. Envy speaks to something far more profound, something rooted far more deeply in our hearts that captures the essence of the nature of our sin, a discontentment with our place. And a hunger for more, a hunger to be like God, to take His place. In the book of Proverbs, King Solomon describes to us the power of envy. He says, Proverbs 14, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. That's a deep hurt. Envy digs to the very core of our being and leaves us feeling broken and empty and cuts us off from everyone around us as a result, the exact opposite of what we want. And the story of envy begins right at the start of Genesis with Cain and Abel. They both came to worship God bringing their offerings from the work of their hands, grain from a farmer and animals from a herdsman. And of the many different aspects of this story, the different pieces of their heart and their motivations, one that we see in Cain is envy. And his eyes were not on God in his offering, but on himself and on others. 
The Bible doesn't tell us explicitly what Cain was thinking or what his motivations in worship were, but his reaction tells us a lot. When God accepted his brother's offering and rejected Cain's, Cain wasn't really angry with God. He was angry with his brother. So angry, so envious of his brother's acceptance that he committed murder. Now, there's a whole other gigantic aspect to this story that fascinates me. What was this experience of worship with God like when the world was young? When humanity was just taking our first steps with God? Clearly, they had a very deep and clear experience of God's presence. It's so interesting to me to consider what they saw, what they heard, what they felt. But again, regardless, and speculation is a dangerous game too, we have to be careful when we come to Scripture guessing at Cain's thoughts and intentions. But we can see the fruit of envy born out in Cain, breeding such deep selfishness and even hatred that he murders his own brother. Envy is such a powerful and poisonous thing that robs us of even the good that we would enjoy in a moment. Instead of learning and growing in that moment, God would have taken Cain deeper. God himself said, turn your heart. Walk with me. Let's explore this together. I want to take you deeper. God always desires relationship, deeper understanding, deeper intimacy and knowledge of him and ourselves reflected in him. God is always working for our good, for more, more of Himself with us. He is infinite and He wants us to know Him. How amazing is that? What a gift. And instead of seeing how He missed the mark and seeking deeper understanding with His Creator, Cain's eyes just turned to someone else, someone on their own journey with God too. Abel was on his own journey with God, exploring worship and relationship and those things. And rather than see his own heart, Cain just wanted to take everything away from Abel. Envy is so poisonous to our spirit. It corrupts our own relationship with God. And our focus becomes completely on ourselves instead of humble submission and worship of Him. And then it completely destroys relationship with each other because instead of bringing worship together, like God created us to do, we're only competing with each other. Am I more than them? How can they be more than me? I can't let them be more than me. So I'll take away what they are. I'll tear them down to make me enough. To put me ahead. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Our motivations are all screwed up 
We can't do anything right. Even the good things, the healthy things we do, work and skill, are all coming out of a place of fear and selfishness in comparison. And it's not what God meant for any of this to be. Now, most of us have not committed murder. But we've all felt that hatred and that fear. In our moments of weakness and selfishness, that jealousy, that envy, that covetousness. When someone gets something we think we deserve, or at least they don't. We feel like we've been wrong, that things aren't right, that when someone else gets something we want, it's like it's been taken from us. That we deserved it, I deserved it, not them. We live in a world governed by a fear of scarcity, of there never being enough. So we have to fear and take from others. When God is operating a kingdom of overwhelming abundance, if we can just stop and let Him be God for a second. There's no place for envy in a kingdom like that. But if greed and gluttony is about having enough, envy is about being enough. Making others less so that we can be more. Because we just don't think there's enough love to go around. Stealing from others to fulfill ourselves. Focusing on what God has made them to be their life. Their things. Their gifts. What they have. Instead of seeing the beauty of who they are and what God has made them to be. We're only seeing all the ways we're not that. All the ways they're different and better than us. And it comes down to a discontentment and dissatisfaction with ourselves. I don't like me. I want that life instead. Their looks, their stuff, their house, their career, their life. We just can't see what God wants us to see. God has made you unique too. He made Cain unique too. Your journey with Him is yours alone, your gifts, your personality, the way you reflect Him, your nature, your heart, your passions, your dreams, your skills, your story. He's given them to you. And He wants to walk in them with you. And we can't see any of that. All the things that God has given to you, made you to be, we only see all the things that someone else has and wish we had that. But Scripture is filled with God's heart for us to see and know and trust that how He has made you is how He meant you to be. That your story is not someone else's story. That what others have and how He is walking with them is for us to celebrate, not compare. 
His image is alive in you, placed in you with care, and He means you to walk with Him and then with others together. Not just getting lost in comparison and fear that that He is enough for us. He is the point. He is the focus. And worship of Him is life itself for us. Psalm 37 Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. What does your heart desire? Does it desire Him alone? Or are we filled with envy for everything everyone else has? Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The righteousness of God is the only way to be satisfied. His presence, His righteousness. 1 Timothy 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content. With that, are we content? Can we be content with the presence of God and what He provides for you? 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. Is His grace sufficient? Is it enough? Do we trust that He is enough? Philippians 4, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. And here's a good one, Habakkuk chapter 3. When's the last time you were in Habakkuk? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Do we trust that God is enough when everything around us, everything in our lives is failing and someone else is succeeding and God is allowing great success in their journey? Are we only filled with fear to comparison there or is God enough? The sovereign Lord is our strength. And here in John chapter 4, Jesus gives us the essence of what he's talking about, what God means for us. When he's talking to the Samaritan woman, he says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is there to envy when we serve a God like that? whose promises 
are so overwhelming and overabundant. Why are we looking around at how He is working in someone else's life, what they have, when He has given you so much? He has given you Himself, His Spirit, alive in you. What else are we looking for? It's the core of faith that trust and contentment that God really is everything that He says He is, that He is doing everything that He says He is doing, that He will deliver on every single promise He has given to you. We fall into fear and selfishness and envy when we fall out of that trust. When we start to think that God isn't enough, that He loves someone else more, that He has blessed someone else more. Envy creeps in when we take our eyes off of Him and worry about how we're going to make ourselves okay. Instead of knowing, believing, trusting that He is enough because He said so. Because when we do trust Him, not only do we step back from envy, but we begin to step into a fullness and abundance of life and worship, free from fear, free from comparison and competition. We can genuinely celebrate with others all the ways God is moving in their lives, knowing He is moving in our lives too. And it brings the beginning of that new life that Jesus has promised. Life in relationship with Him and with each other. Life together. Are we people of worship? Or people of fear? Are we people of contentment? Or people of envy? Do we believe that God is truly enough? This morning we're going to take communion together. And it's perhaps the most powerful reminder we have of the sufficiency of God and the faith we can have in His promises. For hundreds and even thousands of years before Jesus went to the cross, God promised He was going to fix it. God promised He was going to send someone who was going to transform everything, who was going to be enough for us. And when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he meant it. It's over. I am the way and the truth and the life, and that life is here. The Spirit is here to bring that life to us. Are we ready to step away from envy and step into freedom and hope to bring encouragement and generosity to others as the Spirit works in us? breaking down that selfishness and filling us with hope and joy. We have a number of crosses set up around the room. If you're new with us, you might not be as familiar with the way that we take communion here. In a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to play some music. and We're going to invite you as you feel led to come to one of the crosses and take the elements. 
Communion is a communal thing. And if you need in this moment to come as an individual and God's just working something in your heart, we invite you to do that. But we invite you to come with family and friends together, take the elements and take them back to your seat together and pray together and take them as you feel led. And just in this moment, let's invite Jesus to fill us with that faith that he is enough. That we can trust him, that his sacrifice was enough, that his spirit is enough. That his promises leading us forward are more than enough for everything we want. Let me pray for us and then we'll invite you to come as you feel led to the crosses. Father God, we believe that you are enough. Even when we don't, we declare it, Father. You created the world. The power of your spirit is here. The work of Jesus paid the price for our sins. You have wiped away that sin and you have invited us to explore and understand new life, abundant life in you. Father, we come before you today and we lay at your feet all the ways that we fail. All the ways we try to cling to that old life. The places we don't trust you enough. We pray, God, that you would help us to open our hands and let go that you would wrap your arms around us and draw us in, filling us with faith, filling us with trust, filling us with love, filling us with the fruit of the Spirit and taking away this fear and tension and division that we feel amongst ourselves. God, you created us to be with you and with one another and we want to know what that relationship looks like. We want to explore what that relationship looks like Guide us by your Spirit. Draw us together that we can know your presence together in each other as we come in worship to you. Father God, we thank you for your word and for the examples we have in it. Help us to see. And as we take these elements now, God, we pray that you would bless this time. That the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us would be enough. We remember and we worship you together in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to come as you feel led.